I'd like to talk to you today about encouragement in the valley of need. Everybody I know needs encouragement. We get discouraged. And uh, a little encouragement goes a long way. You know that? Just somebody to say something encouraging to you, pat you on the back, tell you you're doing a good job. I'll tell you, how many times have I been discouraged and I'd get a note and the note would say something encouraging. And you know, I read that note a half a dozen times. <laughs> I don't know if you do the same thing when you get a note like that. Uh, I've gotten other kind of notes that I got halfway through and threw them away. But I like to keep the encouraging ones. This is a message about encouragement. We're going to begin reading today in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And just six days later, look what happened. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, just as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came over the, out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one any, anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things which they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. They didn't understand when Jesus was talking about the resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Can you imagine all the needs that the disciples has, have recently been exposed to? If you've been following with us uh, through our study of the book of Mark, remember Jesus uh, walked on the water. He fed 5,000, actually about 20,000 probably. And all these people were bringing all, these, all their broken friends to Christ. All sorts of things were taking place. Uh, can you imagine how emotionally fatigued and how beat down they were? You know, many people, and I'm sure in our church, you, maybe you're just dealing with the issues around your family and your life. And I'll tell you, that's a heavy burden sometimes. But what happens is when you open yourself up to other people, the burden gets heavier. And uh, the, the more people you open yourself up to, the heavier the burden becomes. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's easy, it's easy to get beat down. It's easy to be put down. Now, this transfer, transfiguration here is a glimpse of the future for a believer. The Lord pulls back the curtain. He takes his inner circle. Now, I know most of you in our church know who the inner circle is. Peter, James, and who? John, right? Uh, 
often when we think of them, we think, boy, they're the special ones, Peter, James, and John, because they got to do special things with Jesus. I was reading one commentator, and he said, you know, it might be the opposite. It might have been that the fact that they were the ones that got in trouble. And Jesus put his arm around them and said, hey, listen, you guys come with me. Some of you people were like that in school. I was. Teacher always made me her assistant. You know what that meant? I was the worst kid in the class. She said, come on, Johnny, I, you can be the assistant here, and, and uh, just I need to keep my eye on you. Now, Peter, remember, he was always getting in trouble. And then uh, James and John were known of the sons of what? Thunder. And on one occasion, they wanted to call fire down from heaven, and so Jesus might have said, hey, I better stick close to these guys. If I go up on that mountain uh, and leave them down there by themselves, there's no telling what might happen. Well, we're, we're interested and we are familiar with the story of the transfiguration. Why did Jesus do this for his disciples? Why did he take them up onto this high mountain and show them uh, this tremendous thing? First of all, to prepare them for the shock of the cross. Now, they were actually at this particular time reeling with the fact that Jesus told them that he was going to die and that kind of exploded their mind because they didn't, that wasn't part of their dream for Jesus. And you remember back in chapter 8, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. Uh, remember, Jesus was telling them about his death, and, and Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Now, I don't recommend anybody doing that. But again, Peter always seemed to get in trouble. He rebuked the Lord because that wasn't a part of his idea of what it meant to be a Messiah. And then the Lord turned right around in, in Mark chapter 8 and he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, what? Satan. Satan. Now, I'll tell you what, that would devastate you, wouldn't it? The Lord just patted Peter on the back because he made this tremendous confession. Jesus said to him, who do you think I am? And Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm sure old Peter was feeling pretty good uh, after that. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't think Peter was feeling good whenever that statement was delivered. I was watching Bill O'Reilly the other night, and he rebuked a lady on his Fox News program Actually, she was a Fox News contributor, and I was so surprised. Uh, he said to her, uh, and I felt she was tremendously embarrassed. He said, listen, you can't talk like that on Fox News because you don't have any, uh, you have to have facts to base up what you say. You have to have uh, the truth to back up this statement. You don't have anything. And I watched this girl as he kind of dressed her down, I mean, as he put her down, in front of everybody all around the world. And I was just, I just expected that the blood was going to run, run completely out of her face because it was really a tough moment. She handled it really well. But you know, it's no fun as an adult to get rebuked. You know that? It's very embarrassing. And he did it quite well. Uh, but Peter had just been rebuked by the Lord, get behind me, Satan. And... Uh, people that were hanging their hopes on this scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And, and uh, let's read it together. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet 
like me from your midst. From your brethren, him you shall hear. Now this is Moses right here prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And so they, they grabbed a hold of this particular statement and they said, now this is the person that we're going to look for whenever he comes. And listen, Jesus fit the paradigm of this particular statement. Jesus fits right in here. And so they were banking all their hopes for the future that Jesus was going to be this tremendous prophet like Moses when he went down, remember, into Egypt and he, and he put his finger under the nose of Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And they wanted Jesus to put his finger under the nose of the Roman rulers and say, hey, listen, get out of our town. Go back to Rome. And then Jesus started talking to them about dying, and this exploded uh, their mind. They couldn't, get, they couldn't understand this. And so they were pretty down. Peter had just been rebuked. They were trying to come to grips with what it meant for their, hopefully, their Messiah to die. And so Jesus wanted to show them a glimpse of his glory. And I want you to notice with me, how this came about. Verse number two, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured. Um, he was changed. Now we use the word transfigured and that's not a common word in our society. The message translation reads it this way, his appearance changed from the inside out. And so if you'd like to write things in your Bible, that's a statement to write right there. His appearance changed from the inside out. He was transfigured. And his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, just as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Now, his appearance was changing. You know, if we were having a church play and we were showing people what the transfiguration was all about, the, probably the best we could do is put a bunch of light coming pouring down right over Jesus. That's the best that we could do, but that wasn't what happened here on the mountain. This light didn't come pouring down upon him. It emanated from his being. It came out of his being. Uh, and he's showing himself as the king of glory. And, and this is all meant to encourage his disciples. Now, in Matthew's account of this very same story, the Bible says, his face shined like the sun. Now, this is tremendous. How many people here, your mom and dad, when you were little kids, said, hey, don't you dare look at the sun? How many people had a warning like that? And, I, and you know what? I, I know what you did. You peaked, didn't you? Uh, you were laying there in the grass one day and you were remembering your mother said, hey, don't look at the sun, it'll burn your eyes. And it really, it's very, very dangerous to look at the sun. But you just had to prove it, right? And so I remember moving my fingers like this, just peeking. And, I said, and just one peek is all it takes, right? Mother must have been right. And so here we have Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And the face of Jesus was shining like the sun. This light came from within him. And his clothing was whiter than anything seen on earth. Uh, I'd like to uh, put 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 here. And it says, He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. And so Jesus here is pulling back the curtain 
of his disguise. And he's showing them a glimpse of glory. He's also showing the disciples their future glorification. I think it was two weeks ago I gave you those three terms. You know, uh, sanctification, glorification, justification. Uh, and, uh, and the end result of our Christian experience is glorification. And, and so... And whenever we read these particular stories, we ask ourselves, well, where do we fit in here? And, and I'm sure that Peter, James, and John were saying the th same thing. Well, how does this all relate to us? Uh, Jesus is showing them what's in the future for them. First of all, he's showing them by Moses and death. He's representing here to Peter, James, and John the two ways people meet God. First way is death, of course, second way is rapture. Moses was a picture of those who have died to see the Lord. This is the normal way. I was talking to Jim Watch just earlier this morning. He was telling about a little video clip he saw from Al Davis, who was the owner of the Oakland Raiders. And somebody asked him on this video clip, if you had all the money in the world, what would you buy? And he would say, listen, I, or what would you want to do with it? He said, I want to eliminate death. Now, he recently died. He said, I want to eliminate death. That's the normal way that people meet God. Moses, remember, led the people of Israel through the wilderness, and God took him up on a mountain, Mount Nebo, actually, in Moab, and said, here, I want to give you a picture of the land. And then he buried them right in the valley below the mountain in Deuteronomy chapter 34, and he sent his angel Michael to guard his grave. Satan came to try to rob the body, and uh, he wanted to make a relic of it so people would come and worship it, and God wouldn't let him. But Moses is a picture of how most people meet God through death. Hebrews 2.14 is an interesting verse. Let's read this together, okay? Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, the devil has terrorized people with the prospect of death. And there are many people in our society who are terrorized with the prospect of death. And so Jesus came into the world to deal with that, to show us, listen, we don't have to be afraid of death. Uh, he conquered death through his resurrection. John 10.10 10 is an interesting verse. Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. First uh, Corinthians 15.26 says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. You know, death is a is an awful thing, it really is, and I, I will not elaborate on it this morning, uh, but uh, whenever your circle of, of friends get larger and larger, that gets larger and larger in your life. Somebody told me in our church not long ago, I think it was Marianne Mickett, uh, that uh, you know, it just seems like every week uh, we have to go visit a funeral home somewhere. It's, it's an awful thing, it's a terrible thing. Uh, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. 
Hebrews 9.27 says, and it's appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. And so Moses was a picture on the mountain of those who go through the, uh, through the valley of the shadow of death. But then there was Elijah, and uh, Elijah pictured those who went up in the rapture. Uh, the rapture is not anything new. Uh, Jesus foretold that in John chapter 14. And uh, that's exactly what happened to Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Let's read it. Then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. Elijah went up. Now that's the way to go, amen? That's the way to go. And, you know, all the generations have wanted to, uh, to be participants in the rapture. It's, uh, it's so much better to think about the upper taker than the undertaker, right? I said that in the presence of our good undertaker down here in Finleyville one time. His eyes got about this big, Tim. Uh, well, Peter, uh, Peter was taking in all of this, and uh, he said, well, I think... Uh, I think it's good for us to be here. Now, that's an understatement, isn't it? Verse number five, look at him. Peter answered and said to him, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said, I just want to stay here. Now, I'm not surprised that Peter spoke up because he always did. Uh, but commentators say that what Peter said was really foolish, uh, to make three tabernacles and put Jesus on the same plane with, uh, with Moses and Elijah. But there was a disclaimer here. Look at verse 6. Because he did not know what to say. Have you ever been in that situation? Not knowing what to say, but you said it anyway? It's so embarrassing, isn't it? I did that a few weeks ago to somebody who visited the church. They were passing by me, and I said something, and I, after I said it, I said, that didn't even make any sense. And that's, that's, what this, that's what this verse, that's Peter. I'm becoming more like him all the time. And, and I know that person went out of the church and said, what was that all about? Holy cow. And it says in verse number six, but he did not know what to say. For they were great, greatly afraid. Well, you and I are a lot like Peter, aren't we? Well, this whole spirit experience took place to introduce the final prophet. This cloud. The next thing we see is the cloud. Uh, a cloud came in verse number 7 and overshadowed them. This cloud, if you follow it through the history of the Bible, you find it everywhere. It's called the Shekinah cloud. How many people have ever heard that word, Shekinah? Hold your hand up. Quite a few. It's not a biblical word. It's a word that's taken out of Hebrew, but it's used not in the, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, and it, it, the closest word we have in the Bible is the word dwell or presence. And this cloud was the dwelling place of God, the manifestation of God, the, the presence of God. For instance, it was the pillar of cloud that stood by Israel in the wilderness. It was the cloud of glory that God spoke to Israel from in Exodus 16. It was from this cloud of glory that God met with Moses and others in the Bible. And, and you followed all the way through the scriptures. Uh, God manifest himself in a cloud. Uh, he just came in this manifestation of a cloud 
and people have been calling it the presence of God, the dwelling place of God, the Shekinah of God. The next thing that came out of this cloud was a voice. I'm convinced that that uh, this was God's announcement for the final prophet. This is my beloved son, hear him. J. Vernon McGee says this, that the Lord has nothing more to say to the world than he has said in Jesus Christ. We are to hear him. Whenever people talk to you and they say, hey, listen, God told me this to tell you and all that, don't get too high on that. Uh, most people, most good biblical scholars believe that God spoke finally through Jesus Christ. That was the end of his word. He spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets to the people. Jesus was this final prophet that came along, hit God's final word to the world. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, uh, tells us that story. Do we have that? Let's read this together. In times past... The word of God came to our fathers through the prophets in different parts and in different ways. But now, at the end of these days, it has come to us through his son to whom he has given all things for a heritage and through whom he made the order of the generations. Now God's word to you and me is through his son, Jesus as they were coming back down off the mountain, the Lord says, listen, I don't want you to tell anyone about this. Now, they wouldn't have believed them anyway. But later, whenever Peter was writing his book in the Bible, uh, he just had to share this experience. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard the voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Uh, and so... Uh, just to summarize our thoughts this morning, what was Jesus doing right here? Well, he was showing the disciples that there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot more beyond the veil of death. Moses died 1,400 years before this event, and I'm sure he looked pretty good up on the mountain. Elijah was translated to God 900 years before this event, and I'm sure he looked well too. Uh, another thing I think we learn from this is we're going to know each other in heaven. I, I, I appreciate that. I really do. Because human relationships are pretty good and they're going to get even better when we go to heaven. You know that? Amen. And the older you get, you keep sending more and more of your friends. And, uh, and I almost invariably now at a funeral, I'll say to somebody, well, we're just, we're not too far behind. Uh, we're going to know each other in heaven and I'll tell you, it's going to be a perfect environment. Uh, he also was teaching his disciples that God is in control of the events that, that they were acting out. And so when they came back down to the valley and they began to play out the drama of the cross, this experience burned in their mind. God has a plan, and that's what you and I always have to remember. We can't understand the plan of God. We have no ability to do this. His thoughts are incomparable. 
we can't even, you know, people, people say all the time, I'm just trying to figure out what God is doing. Well, save your energy, please. Save your energy. Uh, God is so infinite in his knowledge. And, and so they said, listen, uh, the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to trust me. Uh, this is a picture of future glory. Uh, this is a guarantee of future coming glory. And so I cannot help believe today that as, as, the, as the clouds grew darker and the scene of the cross loomed upon the disciples and as they, they went into this crucible of pain uh, for Jesus and for themselves, that every now and then they may have said to each other to encourage each other, hey, remember the mountain. Just keep in mind, God has a plan. God has a plan. And I want you to remember this today. We can't understand all this stuff. But God does have a plan. And he is a good planner. He really is. And so what we do is we trust him because we have all seen in our own way a glimpse of his glory in our life, have we not? We are here living testimonies today in this church of the grace of God of the grace of God. God has saved our life. He has saved many of our marriages. He has saved, it goes on and on what God has done for us. And when we get down in the, and when we get down and we get blue, we need to, to say to ourselves and to others, hey, remember, remember the glory. Remember what God has done in our life. He has a plan. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, um, let me encourage you. These disciples didn't understand. And there are many things in life you and I don't understand about life. And sometimes you think, well, when I get older, I'll understand. And when you get older, you still don't understand. But, uh, but we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for our sins. And he has promised us all these things in the Bible, and uh, we are to trust him. Uh, with, we've already trusted him with our soul. We're to trust him now with our life. And uh, whenever these things come hurling at us in our life, and we say to ourselves, listen, I don't understand. I, I want you to say, listen, I know God does have a plan because he is a great God. He is a God who loves me. And he has a God who has a great future for me. And I know he's going to take me through this time. Dear Lord, as we uh, come now into your presence to conclude our service today, I pray that you will move in among our church today. Uh, if there are people in our church that you are speaking to in a special way, uh, people who need to respond to you by something that has been, uh, they've experienced in our service today. I pray that they will respond in a positive way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our concluding song. I want you to respond to the Lord today in your life. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar, please feel free to do that as we sing together.